Father, I pray what Ryan prayed earlier, uh, that who we would hear from tonight is you and uh, not me. You've chosen to speak through people, and so I guess we have to hear my voice, uh, but we pray that the substance behind it would be from the mouth of you to the hearts of your people. Uh, many of us have, have, have had our eyes come open in this very room, have had our hearts turn from marble, hard, cold, granite, unfeeling, dead, and made back to life. And so tonight, Father, would you do what you've done for so many of us? Do that again, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Here's my question to you as we start to look at that passage from Colossians 1. Paul's prayer for these Christians in a little town called Colossae in modern-day Turkey. Did you know it's possible to be completely oblivious to some of your most pressing, urgent, desperate needs? Human beings are capable of being completely in the dark about things that are at the very top of our need. Dangerous places we get to and we don't even know. There's a girl in uh, Georgia, she's from here, name is Ashlyn Blocker. Uh, I found out about her from a New York Times article a few years ago, an article called The Girl Who Feels No Pain. And she has a genetic condition, and for some reason between her nerves that she has just like you and me, and a brain like she has like you and me, the, the receptors in her brain, the place where pain signals get interpreted, aren't there for her. The article is fascinating. It's uh, a New York Times reporter spent a day with her and her family and described it. Here's what he wrote. The girl who feels no pain was in the kitchen, stirring ramen noodles. The spoon slips from her hand and drops into the pot of boiling water. It was a school night. The TV was on in the living room, and as her mother was, uh, or her mother was folding clothes on the couch, without thinking, Ashlyn Blocker reached her right hand in to retrieve the spoon, and then took her hand out of the water and stood looking at it under the oven light. So she walks a few steps over to the sink and runs cold water over all of her faded white scars. And then she said to her mom, I just put my fingers in it again. And her mother, Tara, dropped the clothes and rushed to her daughter's side. And then she got some ice, puts it on the wounds, relieved that the burn wasn't worse. And the article goes on. Then there was the time she burned the flesh right off the palms of her hands when she was two years old. Her dad was using a pressure washer in the driveway and left its motor running. And in the moments he turned his head away, she put her hands on it. And when she lifted them up, the skin was seared away. And it finishes the time she was running around the playground with a broken ankle, completely unaware that her bone had a serious fracture. Ashlyn Blocker feels no pain, which means Ashlyn Blocker is not aware of her needs. In any given moment, she could be in grave danger and not aware of it. Flesh could be burning from her body. Her ankle could be ripping and tearing. And unless she sees it, unless someone brings it to her attention, she's completely oblivious to it. Now, would you believe, would you buy it if I suggested to you that you and I, though we can't relate maybe to the physical condition that she has, we can absolutely relate to a spiritual condition just like this, where the pain receptors don't work anymore. We don't feel anymore. And if you don't feel anymore, you can't be aware of your needs. You don't know what you need. 
right? Same for Ashland in a physical sense is true for us in a spiritual sense. And there's, there's a couple of reasons why, and I'll just throw them out there. This isn't the focus of this passage, but it's good to know. The first is, is this thing the Bible calls sin. We'll kind of talk about that as the semester goes on. But this thing the Bible calls sin, this, this dark, wrong thing that's going on deep down inside of us, numbs us to our true needs. And it makes us incapable of recognizing what's actually going on inside of us. And so we become incapable of even knowing what our needs are. You're not even able, when someone asks, like if you've ever been in a little group and they're like, how can I pray for you? You just throw something out because you don't know how you would like them to pray for you because you don't know how to pray for yourself. You don't know what you need. This is why we struggle with prayer. We don't pray when we have no sense of our needs because prayers are needs expressed to somebody. And the other reason, not just our sin numbing our spiritual nervous system and cutting that line between pain receptors and response. The other reason is life. It's just the pace of life. I bet you're feeling it already. Talked to a, a few people last night when we had all these, uh, all you freshmen back there for our first night of that. And just how even into day two, day three, the pace is killing you. The pace of what life is like here. And the busyness of life, what it does is it overinflates tiny needs and it deflates real needs. Just because we just get so caught up, so distracted from what's actually important, what are actually priorities. And these little tiny things, we look at them so intensely, we focus at them and they get bigger and bigger and they eclipse all the stuff behind it. For instance, a couple of weeks ago, guys, girls, did your sense, your desperate need to get a bid from that sorority, that fraternity, eclipse all other needs you might have had your first week here? Did that need, maybe important in some ways, not important in ultimate ways, did it overinflate to the point that it eclipsed all of your real needs your first week? A real need to be expressing your dependence upon God. A real need to notice the people around you, to love them, to welcome them. Did that tiny little need that was urgent get so overinflated that it eclipsed all the others? Has the urgency of losing 10 more pounds or fitting into that particular pair of pants, has it eclipsed and snuffed out any other sense of need? Your prayer life, you asking people for help because that's what life is dominated by now. It's what everything revolves around. For all of us probably, as the need of keeping a high GPA eclipsed your sense of need for Jesus himself. Because you're not just a student. That's, a, that's your calling right now. But you're also a human being. You're an image bearer of the God who made you. And we live responsible to him. And we live under his watch. And as keeping that number where it has to be to get the internship, to get the job, to get the money, to get the house, to get the wife or the husband, has that series of needs eclipsed the truest needs, the most base, deep, core needs that we have. Here's the point of all this. We are insanely disconnected from a true apprehension of our needs. We are so far from a true sense of what we actually need tonight, of where we actually need help, of what we actually need from God. And so 
like I said, we have a hard time even knowing how to pray for ourselves, how to pray for our friends, because we don't really know what we need. We don't really know how to ask for help. So let me ask you this question too. How do you know if you know what you need? How do you know whether or not you even know what you truly need? How do you know whether you're a person who's kind of insanely disconnected from a true sense of your needs or whether you're the person in the room who is accurately in touch with reality, with what you really need tonight? Well, I think this is the litmus test. Do your prayers ever sound like what Anna Catherine read, the Apostle Paul? If you're like me, you likely forgot what she read earlier because it probably didn't resonate with you because it probably sounds like Bible talk and it probably just completely disconnected from the internal dialogue that you have going all the time like me. And so it's just kind of want, 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 and then it's like, okay, let's hear a message now. Have your prayers ever sounded like this? Have you ever found yourself pleading with God to open your eyes more and more to who he is? Have you ever cried out that he would grow you in knowledge of himself? Have you ever stood astounded at who he is? Not just what he gives or what he does, but who he is. He's a person. Have you ever begged him? Have you ever cried out to grow, for the grace to grow, for the grace to walk and live and decide in a manner that's pleasing to him and not just dominated by our own narcissistic pleasures? That's, I think, the litmus test of whether you're truly in touch with your true needs or whether we're wildly disconnected from them and off on all these other chases, is have we ever prayed like this? Do we ever hear ourselves, catch ourselves asking for things like this? Now, you might be asking, come on, Ben, this is the apostle Paul. He's like at the top of the ladder spiritually, like right-hand man to Jesus planning the early church. And you're asking me, is Paul's prayer for these people in the first century, that's the litmus test you're saying? That's the metric? for whether I'm truly in in touch with my needs, 2018, come on. And yes, here's why. Your prayers are where your heart unloads what it really thinks it needs. Your prayers, your prayers are the place that your heart unloads what it really thinks it needs. Which means, even if you're not a Christian, you're here to kind of investigate, you're curious, you didn't grow up with this background, this sounds a little bit weird to you. Even you pray. I prayed plenty before I was a Christian. The prayers of a Christian are directed to a father. They're directed to the living God as revealed in the Bible. The prayers of those not connected to him are directed to self. They're directed to kind of a, an abstract, non-specific world. They, they sound like anxiety. They sound like complaint. They sound like grumbling. But those are prayers. They're prayers without an address on it. They're prayers like the balloon that had the air let out of it. They don't know where to go because there's no one to talk to who can do anything about it, and so they're just put out there. But for the Christians in the room, when you pray, you're getting to the core of what you really think you need. The prayers you pray, especially the knee-jerk ones, the ones on your way to class, the ones you didn't plan to pray, the ones that just leap out of your heart, those are what you really think you need. And so, if we have Paul, who in verse one, last week we looked, Paul says, I am a messenger of the risen Jesus Christ, the Son of God. 
I am his messenger, which means I'm his mouthpiece. I'm his megaphone. What you hear out of Paul's mouth originated in Jesus' mouth. So if Jesus himself is giving you a prayer that he prays for you, that you can pray for you, and if prayers are the truest expression of what a heart really thinks it needs, then isn't this a true, accurate expression of what Jesus thinks you really need? That was a few steps on the linear logic train, right? But you, are you tracking with me? If a prayer is a true expression of what a heart really thinks it needs, and this is a prayer coming out of Jesus' mouth for his people, if this is a prayer we get to pray, then wouldn't you expect that this is a prayer that shows you what you really need? This, pr- this prayer itself is like a splint on a compound fractured soul. It's training wheels. It's a reorientation to reality. It's an invitation to come back to the way you really are. Come back to what's actually going on and what you actually need. It's not just a prayer. Go pray this. It's an invitation. It's an open door. It's an x-ray of what actually, if you were alert to reality, you'd be praying. And Paul gives it to us as an outstretched arm to come and try it on for size. And it's in the form of a prayer. Not a super spectacular observation there. But what is, what's the significance of the fact that this is a prayer that Paul says, I pray this every time I think of you. He's talking to these, his friends in Colossae. Every time I think of you, I pray this prayer. What is it, what's the significance that it is a prayer? Why is that important? It's important because you pray for things you don't already have. Or you pray for things you feel you lack. You don't have in sufficient quantities, right? It's just like when you ask a question from someone, whether it's a professor, what do you mean by that comment? Or when is this due actually? Whenever you ask something, you're asking out of your lacking. You're asking out of poverty. I don't know this. Can you help me? I don't have this. Can you help me? I need a ride. Can you give it? Prayers are the same way. We pray for the things we lack. We pray for the things we need. And Paul here uh, is giving us a hint that to be a Christian does not mean that you have all these things, that it's always 10 out of 10. I'm a spiritually wise person forever now. I automatically walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I automatically kind of come out of the womb as a new, you know, born again, ready to endure forever, ready to run the race without getting tired, without getting exhausted, without getting demoralized or defeated. It's just autopilot. No. Everything Paul asks for us here for the Colossians is something that they lacked to some extent, desperate to get more of, desperate to grow in. And so let's look at what he prayed for. He prayed that they, that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, that we would be spiritually savvy, tuned in to who God is and what he's like and what he's doing in the world, which means he is, he is praying, he's saying we need, to f- we need God to help us get on board with his agenda instead of kind of every few hours giving him more instructions of how to get on our agenda. We are finite, itty-bitty little creatures. We were born 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and we'll be gone in 40 or 50 or 60 years, forgotten like a vapor, We're tiny people. We're not God. We're not in control of all that much. 
And we need him. We need to know his will, his ways, his character, his personality, his reputation. And Paul says, Paul is praying that for them, which presumes these Christians needed to grow in that way. They needed to come more into, more into contact with that. Some way, somewhere, they were confused about God's will. They lacked spiritual wisdom. They lacked understanding. They felt spiritually clumsy often. Do you feel that way? Can you relate to that? If you can, sign yourself up to, for this prayer. Write your name and say, yeah, me too. I need that too. And you see what's happening already? You're coming closer to reality. You're getting reacquainted with your real needs. Because you're like, yeah, I'm spiritually clumsy. I trip over myself all the time. I don't know which way's up. I don't know how I'm gonna get out of this situation I got myself into. Or I've been praying for so long, I've never sensed God's presence. I don't know where he is. This is praying that you'll come more into contact with that and you're coming closer to reality. Paul prays that they would bear fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, which of course implies that at the time, at some level, in some way, their growth felt stunted. Why else would Paul be praying for it? If it was already kind of off to the race, it's like a rocket ship. You don't pray for things you already have. So it implies that these Colossians at some time and in different ways got stuck, felt aimless, felt fruitless. They were the guys addicted to porn who felt this is the way it's always gonna be. I'm never gonna be able to say no. I'm never gonna be able to grow. I'm gonna be the same old guy. And it's gonna continue to wreak havoc in my life and in my relationships as it has for my whole life. And so Paul prays that you would grow and bear fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. This is the person in here tonight who's terrified to walk into a crowd. You were terrified five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, and this past two weeks, you felt weak in every room you've walked into, and you're ready to throw in the towel. You're so, you beat yourself up. You hate yourself for that. And Paul prays that even in that that you would bear fruit, that you would grow. Paul prayed that they would be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might, that God would lend them his strength in the midst of their weakness, which of course implies they were prone to throw in the towel, to stop running, to pull over, to give up, to say, I can't run this anymore. You pray for things you don't have and Paul was praying these things for his friends because he, he realized their lack and their need and he prayed for grateful hearts full of gratitude to the Father which means he knew their hearts at some level were, play, were prone to complaint, prone to miss the thousand ways God has given you goodness today, blessed you, the meals you ate, the friends you met, the roommates you have, some of your hoping you get a different roommate. Maybe that's the blessing of God. But every good thing in your life is from his hand. Paul prays that our eyes would open up. So what do you do when you zoom out and you look at this prayer as a whole? This is a picture of you. This is a picture of me and all my needs. This is a true MRI, an x-ray of what I actually need tonight. So it raises the question, do I agree? Do I think I need this? Or are you still absolutely consumed and dominated by the little things that are this right here in your eyes and so they're blocking out all the real things you actually need.
if you're this person still, if it's got a grip on your heart, what should you do? Maybe you get to pray for that too. Maybe you get to pray that even in that dynamic, you get to grow, you get to repent. And I use that word carefully. You get to pray prayers like this, friends. You get to start praying like this. You get to start praying for things that only God can do. That if they started happening in your life would only be attributable to him. If they started popping up in your relationships, you would know that it was his hand that did it because you'd know, I'm not wise enough to do that. I'm not steady enough, faithful enough, obedient enough, but he's working in it. So this is the joy that we get to see as we become acquainted with who we actually are through prayer and begin to pray these prayers for ourselves. The second thing really quick is it just doesn't uh, make us aware of what we need, but also who we are. And namely this, we're not God. We're not omnipresent. Though you have a phone and a culture that tell you every day you can be everywhere at once and do everything at once, you can't. You're not omnipotent. The culture of the university in America, that's the narrative. That's the plot line. You are omnipotent. You can do anything you put your mind to. Some of you have found out by this point in your lives, no, you can't. You've tried to put your mind to organic chemistry. You've tried to put your mind to calculus. And in a very real way, you're beginning to understand, I'm a creature, not the creator. I'm something that's made. I'm not the maker. The sky's not the limit. I have limits that God gave me. They're good limits to keep me humble, to keep me dependent. We're not omniscient. We want to know who to date before we date him, what major to pick before we get into it, what job we're going to have before we have to go by faith step into it. We are not God. That's who we are. We're his creatures. We're his image bearers. We're his sons, his daughters. And we're not in control of all that much, but he is. And I want you to catch this. I think it's the most encouraging thing about the prayer. Who is Paul talking to? Paul is directing all of his words to Jesus, not to us. Think of what Paul could have said. Think of what we would probably expect Paul to say. Don't you expect an apostle or a preacher to say, hey, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Come on. Endure, stick in the race, don't throw in the towel, keep at it. You need to grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding. You need, you need to know more about God, come on. Paul isn't talking to you about that. Paul's talking to Jesus about that on your behalf. Why? Because he remembers who you are, and he remembers who people like me are. I don't have the power, I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the faithfulness. He does. So Paul is talking to the person who can actually do something about our real needs that our prayers reveal. And I find that extremely encouraging. These Colossians couldn't deliver themselves out of the domain of darkness. They can't save themselves. The Old Testament, the prophets would always tell the people, the leper can't change his spots. A sinner can't cleanse himself A sinner can't wash herself clean. You can't make yourself unguilty. You can't take back what you've done, what you've said, what you've not done. But God can. And he has a reputation and promises that say he does that very thing 
every hour of every day. And that's why God's ta- Paul is talking to God and not lecturing you about these very things. And Paul invites you to join him in these prayers to the giver of repentance, to the author of faith, to the perfecter of faith, to a friend of sinners. Paul knows who he is. That's why he prays. Paul knows who he's not. That's why he prays. Paul knows who God is. That's why he prays. So prayer doesn't just reveal what we need. It doesn't just reveal who we are or who God is, sorry. It reveals who we are as well. Um, I brought this book up here with me because we had a really cool experience about a week ago. Um, there's this, uh, some junior seniors in RUF who've kind of been around and who want to give back and want to serve and want to kind of have skin in the game of, um, of helping this place run. We had a retreat about a week ago uh, with those people on servant team. And uh, because uh, I, I hope I confessed on behalf of everybody, is like, I don't pray well. I'm very quick to plan and very slow to pray. So I was like, well, I, we probably aren't going to pray when the semester starts up, so we're going to do this tonight. We're going to pray all night long. So we had a, people in 30-minute blocks from 11 to 9 in the morning and um, because if you're like me, if you had 30 minutes of free time to pray at four in the morning, you'd be like, just guys have the ability to think about nothing, and that's what would be happening, just screensaver. So I was like, well, we probably need something there to kind of help, you know, point us in the right direction. So this book called Every Moment Holy, it's a book of prayers for super specific situations and circumstances in life. There's probably like 50 or 60. And what, what we did is I said, hey, uh, Pick a prayer out of, here, out of here that you feel fits where you are right now, what life's like for you, that fits what you need from God. And write it down. And leave it on the piece of paper so that the person after you can get to know you better. Because I believe everything I've told you so far. You want to know a person? Listen to what they pray for. You want to know what's at the core of their heart? Eavesdrop on their prayers. And so... Uh, I'm not going to share who prayed for what, but I'll share what a few of the prayers were because uh, this was one of the coolest things I've ever experienced and I feel like is worth 10 hours of sitting with a person asking them how they're doing. These are the prayers I and our friends prayed. One was titled, For Those Fearing Failure. Another was titled, For Those Who Feel Awkward in Social Gatherings. Another, For the Death of a Dream. A couple of people prayed a prayer titled, Nights and Days of Doubts. Someone else, for those who have done harm. For those, who, uh, for those with a sudden burden to intercede. Someone prayed for leavings and saying goodbye. Someone prayed for the, a prayer called, For Those Who Weep Without Knowing Why. And a few people prayed, for those battling destructive desires. I know these people better now. They know me because we saw each other's prayers. I got a glimpse of what they think they really need when they talk to the one who can supply every need and answer every desperation. And I would rather see that one line title of a prayer than ask you how you're doing 20 days in a row because I think I got a more honest answer here. And they got to see the real me there. 
Prayer reveals what you think you need. It reveals who you are. It reveals who God is. And lastly, it reveals where you are. Where you are as well. In the Bible's geography, if you can call it that, there's two places a human being can be. Uh, this is going to get unpacked in the coming weeks, so if you don't want to take my word for it, come back or talk to me after and, and challenge me on it. But two places the Bible says you can do life, in Jesus or in sin. If you've read the Bible, you're familiar with it, you know that the language is everywhere. We're in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, or dead in our sins, dead in our sins. Because reality is just like real estate, location, location, location. And Paul is rooting this prayer. Paul, the reason Paul is praying this prayer, the reason he's able to pray this prayer, the reason you would be able to pray this prayer if you are able to pray it, is because you are in Jesus. Which means what we said last week, Jesus has delivered us out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom, into his kingdom. You remember the 13 little Thai soccer players stuck in that cave we talked about? They're pretty, they couldn't get out. There was no way. Help had to come to them. Jesus has to come to you and deliver you out of the domain of darkness, the dungeons of slavery to self, to your own power, your own poverties, your own lack. He's got to deliver you out of that and into relationship with him for these prayers to become your prayers, for these possibilities to become your possibilities. That is what Paul says too when he talks about where we are and he roots everything in that last verse, that Jesus has qualified us, the Father has qualified us through Jesus to share in the inheritance of the saints. Getting to talk to God this way, this way is part of your inheritance. Paul tonight is doing this. He's opening a door and he's saying, wherever you are, however you walked into the room, do you want this? Do you want to be able to talk to God like this? Do you want somewhere to direct your prayers instead of the air, instead of yourself, instead of the world? Paul invites you into this. He opens the door and he says, do you want to come in? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that uh, you would be the one who appeals to our hearts, who opens our eyes, who helps us grow in spiritual wisdom. We're all the opposites of these things. We're the spiritually foolish. We're slow to grow. We look at our lives and we wonder where is the fruit of your presence in our lives. So we ask you these things in honesty. We ask these things in honesty tonight that you would do it. That our weak prayers would reach a strong ear and that you would begin to act and move in these ways in our lives. We pray that you would do these things for our friends too. Paul wasn't just praying this for himself. He was praying it for his friends and so Help us to become people who start wanting these things for our friends. We ask all of this in your name, Lord. Amen.